Thank you, Steve. That worship was amazing. It was really good. How are you all doing? Um, I like the fact that you have more accents going on here. That's really good. Uh, so it makes me feel, it makes me feel less uh, foreign. Of course, my accent is the best. You know that the Irish accent was voted as the sexiest accent on the planet at one point. It may have been just Irish men that were, that were asking, but, uh, you know, I'm going to go with it. So uh, I'm going to do a couple of shameless plugs. One of them is I, I have a book out. Um, so I am, I am really low on these, so whatever isn't sold at the back, I'm taking away with me today because uh, I'm traveling, so uh, I, need, I need whatever I can. Um, I was actually contacted this week by a publisher. It's really exciting, you know? Uh, I won't mention their name, but uh, they publish all, the, all my heroes books, so, so that's great. Very excited. Um, as well as that, we have some stuff coming up. Has anybody ever received a prophetic word that you're a prophet? So we have a school of emerging prophets that starts in September. Uh, my wife runs it. Uh, we run it in conjunction with uh, the mission in Vacaville in California, which is the church of, uh, most people know the, uh, Dan McCollum out there. Um, they have hosted Bethel's uh, school of, uh, annual School of Prophets, and Dano runs the school with, uh, with Chris Vallotton. Um, but they've, they've had this school of emerging prophets, so it's great if you're a prophet and you do a one-week thing, that's great. But what if you think you're a prophet? What if you're not sure if you're a prophet? What, is that, what exactly is a prophet? And we have a desire, we have a desire to raise up healthy prophets, not just independent prophets that are going off and being frustrated and angry. Uh, so we have a real vision to raise up a company of healthy prophets for, for the city and region. Um, and it's, it starts, it's a 30-week course, and you'll get information um, probably on Facebook somewhere, at Greater Chicago Church's Facebook page, or just email me, or I'll try and put it on my website. <clears throat> um, I can't recommend it highly enough. We had 24 people start it last year. 21 people finished it. It's expensive. It's $1,800 um, for the 30 weeks. But out of those 21 people that finished it, a bunch of them realized they're actually not prophets. But out of that, there are 12 of them that are actually coming back to redo it at the same cost. It's, it's, I mean, it was powerful. It was absolutely a powerful experience. Um, so my wife kind of runs it, and I, I help it. I do stuff with the year twos, and I do the whole spooky bit, you know, the whole seeing angels bit. I do a whole module on that, so it's, it's a lot of fun. We also have a school coming up on September the 8th and 9th, I believe it is, at, at the church of Greater Chicago Church in Oak Park. Um, and it's, it's called Activating the Mystical Realm. So if you're interested in seeing, if you're interested in, uh, you know, if you feel that this is something that God has started, it's, it's definitely on the spectrum. If you're really advanced, it isn't the advanced bit. It's, the, it's for people that really want to either just ignite or reignite or take one step forward in seeing the unseen realm. It's a lot of fun. It's really wacky. Like, it's really wacky. Um, and I, I'm leading that. Uh, so that, that might be great. You'll get all the information on my web, website, which is icarol.com. I-C-A-R-R-O-L-L.com. There's a link to it on Epicenter's website. It's awesome. Uh, we also, I'm also doing this thing. We're trying this thing for the first time. We, we had a conversation with um, some of the guys from Reading a couple of years ago and said, okay, so you're doing all this like schools for profits and you know, you're doing this School of Supernatural Ministry. That's fantastic. You're doing, you know, trainings. Who's training the apostles? Like, I, I actually believe that one of the things that God's doing in the church at the minute is raising up apostles. Uh, and it's going to look slightly different than it has done over the last 40 years uh, because they're not going to want 
you know, they're not going to want a seat on the stage. They're not, wanna, not, not really going to want the big magnet on the side of their white van that says, I am the apostle, so-and-so. It's kind of raising up a, a different apostolic leadership um, to really run healthily with the prophets. Um, so we're, you know, I just decided I'm going to run a school for emerging apostles uh, and apostolic leaders. So the, the idea behind that is that we're going to get a small group, small group. It's not going to be 50 people because we're making it expensive because it is expensive to run. And five times over a year, we're actually gathering some of the some, some of the, what I consider to be the, the, the greatest leaders that I have access to to come in and talk about their giftings and what it's like to be an apostle and what it's like to be an apostolic leader. So starting in November, we have Jonathan Welton coming in, and it's from a Thursday night to a Saturday evening. And the idea is that we'll all stay together at some spot, uh, and you'll be in a room with Jonathan Welton and a bunch of other apostles. There's a guy flying in. Him and his wife are coming in from Canada. There's a guy from Pennsylvania coming in. Um, there's a bunch of people from our church coming. And there might even be some folks from California coming in. So that, that's week one. And then in February, we have a guy called Danny Silk, who some of you may have heard of. Um, and the idea is you're going to get face-to-face time with Danny. You're going to be able to share emails. You're going to actually be able to build up connections with, with people. And he's going to, like, speak into the fivefold. Uh, then in April, just before Bethel's leaders advance in April, we have a guy called Paul Manwaring coming in to talk about what it's like to be, uh, to run together, what it's like to be this emerging fivefold evangelist um, and running with other sort of like fivefold leaders. Uh, Rachel and I are doing a session in June, and we're going to talk about changing culture and how the apostle and prophet run together and actually really activating signs and wonders, truthfully. That's what we're going after. So, And then in September, we have this guy, Keith Ferranti, who hosts... Uh, he's the house prophet for the mission in Vacaville, and he's coming in to talk about how to raise up, how apostles raise up prophets. Um, so it's five weekends over the year. I want to have a non-competitive band of brothers and sisters, because you know women can be apostles, right? Good. So I want to raise up a band of brothers and sisters that are actually going to run together and try to formulate ongoing relationships for, for the future. So... And do you like my T-shirt? What are you going to say? No, it's horrible. No, so we, every year we run this conference called the Wild Goose. It's an annual conference, and it's really about um, the Celts. I mean, I have a tattoo right here, and the, the tattoo is of a wild goose, which is the Celts, symbol for the Holy Spirit. Not the gentle dove, the wild goose. Um, and this conference is wild. I mean, it's just like a real impartation of the Holy Spirit. Um, core, to my, core to who my wife and I are is this notion that if being drunk with the Holy Spirit was a good idea in Acts chapter 2, it's probably a good idea in 2017. That if the plan for, for evangelism and expansion and growth and impact was to be drunk but not as you suppose by the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit, then let's do that. Let's get as whacked and wasted as we possibly can on the Holy Spirit and uh, see, see what comes from that. So again, details of that are, are on our website. So that's all the shameless plugs I think I have. I think I have. Oh yeah, we do have a training next weekend. It's called Advanced Prophetic. Um... It doesn't mean that you have to be advanced in the prophetic to do it. What, what, what it means is just we're going to take people a little bit deeper into it. Um, Rachel and I won't be there, but our prophetic team are doing the training. Um, so if you're interested in that, again, Facebook's a great... Does anybody have a cell phone with Facebook on, on it? Does anybody have one of those? Like right here, right now? What's Facebook? Well, it's called the Facebook if you're my generation. So. Um, if you go to it, uh, if you go to it and you search for Ian Carroll Ministries, 
uh, you should find it, and it's, it is a pretty good way of sort of keeping up to date with stuff, and if we're doing anything, you can kind of um, find out what it is we're doing. So if you just like my page, don't just follow it, just like it, so. Makes sense? What's that? <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm a long way off Danny Silk. Danny Silk is like 250,000 likes. And I'm not jealous. I keep saying I'm not jealous. So. All right. Well, it's been great to be here this morning. Thanks very much. Um, I'm, I feel I've spoken for long enough because I've been speaking for the last two days. So why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? Let's pretend we're Lutheran or Catholic and we're going to get you to stand and sit and kneel and shake the Sunday carb coma from all those donuts off us. So. All right, just put your hand in your heart. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would uh, speak to us all this morning. I just pray that you would like, just shift us a notch. Just we, you know, sometimes it's not a full 180 degrees that we need. It's just like a three-degree shift that we need in order to be able to focus more on who we are and what it is we're called to do. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just fill us right now, that you would just fill us to overflowing right now, that we would not just believe, but we would know. Just, just more of your presence right now, Holy Spirit. I pray for a, for a spirit of revelation and wisdom to be present with us here this morning. And God, we give you permission to change our hearts through the proclamation and the demonstration of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read from the Bible. Glory. I'm going to read from the New American Standard Version. Um, and I'm reading from Luke 15 and verse 11. And it's the story of the prodigal son. And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Right? He divided his estate between both his sons. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Loose living. It's great. Loose living. I love sometimes the way, the Bible, the way some of the translations phrase things. Loose living. Uh, the older brother goes on to explain what that was later on. Now, now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into, the, into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, some translations say, when he came to himself... When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hard men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and, went and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. 
But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. My, uh, my extreme conviction is that sonship, understanding our sonship, is the key single element on the planet Earth. It, it isn't discipleship. It isn't being a servant. It isn't anything like that. It is sonship. Of course, many of us, you know, in my generation and above, were really touched and impacted by the Toronto blessing from 1994 right to this day, where, the, where John Arnott calls it the Father's blessing. And we were really impacted by what was happening because we understood that our horizontal relationship with our earthly Father had affected our vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father that if our earthly father was abusive, distant, absent, that that had affected our view of what our heavenly father was like, that we seem to put on the, you know, the attributes of our earthly father onto our heavenly father. And then this whole Toronto blessing came out, and I, for one, was undone. In fact, my wife and I would say that one of the, one of the reasons where we actually moved to the United States was because of what happened in '94. And, and it's that recognition that there is a relationship between the horizontal relationship with an earthly father or mother that affects our relationship with our, our heavenly father. It's, it's the, the acknowledging that that exists, that there is a relationship between those two that I want to speak about today. Because many of us have got into this lie Listen, I hate the devil. Does anybody else, like, hate the devil? So why do we partner with him so much? Like, why? Like, theologically, you're either of your father, the devil, or you're of the father in heaven. There's no in-between place. There's not like one foot in both camp. But practically for our experience, it feels to me that I can partner with the devil quite as easily as I can partner with my Heavenly Father. Now, maybe you're all different. Maybe you're all living, you know, I don't believe that. I don't believe that for one minute. The problem is it's really hard for us to accept that we're partnering with the enemy. He is the number one orphan. His mission is not to bring sickness and calamity and earthquakes. That's just a byproduct. His mission on earth is to make sure we're all stuck as orphans. You know, he's the one that want, wanted to push God out of the way and say, well, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to be like Him. Right? That was his dream. His dream was to be like God. You're all familiar with that's how he fell, right? That's, that's how he actually fell. He said, I will be like God. And what did God do? Certainly he cast him to earth. And then God decided, hey, you know what? Let's make someone just like us. Right? So the very thing that Satan wanted, God decided to make by making us. Like the lie in the garden wasn't that, you know, you can be like God. Like that, that's not a lie. You, you actually are like God. So the, the temptation wasn't to be like God. The temptation was actually they didn't believe they were like God. And it resulted in bad behavior. Satan wasn't offering them an opportunity to look like God. They were made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. We're, we're not pretending to be something. Like, 
Many people think pride is, is the first sin. Pride wasn't the first sin. The first sin was they forgot they were made in the image of God. Let us make man in our own image. But don't touch that tree. You know, that tree will make you look like God's image. It's the fact they tried to get their needs met. and they, they tried to get their identity through corrupt means. So this sonship thing, many of us are in this kind of sonship thing partnering with the enemy. Well, I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to look more like God. I'm trying, instead of just saying, hey, I am a child of God, we sing it to try to convince ourselves. We sing, of it, sing it more of, a, more of a prophetic declaration than a word of knowledge. Like, I am a child of God. I was bought with a price. But that has to influence, that has to affect our horizontal relationships. Like I mentioned, we want to raise up healthy prophets. A lot of people have had an experience of an unhealthy prophet, where they're arrogant, unteachable, isolated, alone. It's just not super good. That's not a manifestation of what you're saying exists on the vertical plane. People say, you know, I understand I'm a child of God, but they constantly act like orphans. I, I don't believe that people that say that they understand that they are a child of God, that they're loved, that they're loved with an ancient, perpetual, everlasting love. That's, that's what that Scripture actually means. It's an ancient, perpetual, I have loved you with an everlasting love, says the Lord, right? It's an ancient, perpetual everlasting love. And I don't believe that people that say that but manifest it on, on, on an earthly plane are actually understanding it at all. I think they're trying to grasp at it. And trying to grasp at stuff is the heart of an orphan. I need to grasp at this. Like, orphans are the ones that are running around saying, there's never enough. There's never enough. No one ever picks me. They're actually… Like, it, it, is, it is our responsibility to show up as sons and daughters. Like, that's our responsibility. It's not Steve's responsibility to be a good enough father for me to show up as a son. You need, you need, to, you need to underline that. It's, it's not the quality of fathering that determines my quality of sonship. Now, unfortunately, most of us have actually left that kind of father-mother-son relationship because we believe it's all on them. The, the problem is it's not in the Bible. Like the, the problem is that, that Jesus, was Jesus perfect? The answer is yes. It's not a trick question. Was Jesus perfect? Yes. And yet he had two spiritual sons that, that betrayed him. It wasn't Jesus' fault. It was Peter, it was on Peter and Judas. And Judas is the guy in the background saying, you know, Judas is the guy in the background who's actually saying, like, you know, when are we going to do this? When are we going to do this? Getting really impatient. My goodness, I wish I was in charge. Many theologians believe that the reason Judas betrayed Jesus was because he was impatient and tried to force his hand tried to just force his hand to, be, to, to become the Messiah, to actually show himself as the Messiah with the swords and the weapons and, and actually destroy the occupation of Rome. And that's the heart of an orphan. Well, I wish they would, I could do it so much better than them. I could do it. And we, you know, we're constantly withdrawing and making decisions to withdraw. Now, this should sound familiar. Maybe it wasn't you. Maybe you know people that do that. But that's the heart of an orphan, which is partnering with the devil. It's not partnering with the Father. I don't, I mean, I, I said this all weekend, I don't believe anyone should, should, fall, should go after an abusive leader. That, I don't think anyone should do that. I don't think anyone should be in a marriage that is actually abusive. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe abuse is, is in heaven, so it shouldn't be on earth. But abuse isn't telling you to not 
play your tambourine on a Sunday morning. Abuse isn't saying, hey, you know what, do you know what would really help this church? Give. That's not abusive. I'd really love you all to give. That's not abusive. Like, we have defined the needle way down because we're so afraid of not becoming who we believe God is called to be. And sometimes we're afraid of that because we don't actually know who we are. That we somehow in our insecurity think that I'm going to come along and steal something from you. And that God's not able to do something about that. There are a bunch of manifestations of sons in the passage. The first one is actually from the father, because the father always saw both sons as sons. It didn't matter how they behaved or how they related to him. They, they still, the father still saw the sons as sons. So this sonship isn't about changing the hearts of fathers. It's about changing the, our hearts. Like I, I know that we're in a, I know that certainly I and, and we are in a culture where there's a lot of talk about spiritual fathers and mothers. The problem with that is the church has done it really badly in the past, where you've got spiritual fathers and mothers telling people to, who to marry and, you know, how much to give and, you know, overstepping their, 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 their boundaries of authority. So we're not, I'm not talking about you becoming a spiritual father or mother. I'm talking about a change of our hearts just a change of heart. Because <clears throat> we only get to be in charge of how we're responding, <clears throat> not how our spiritual fathers and mothers are responding. So the second manifestation of a son is this son who is a spirit of entitlement. You know, you know, there are two real, there are probably 25 million types of leaders, but two of the ditches in leadership is that you have no confidence and I believe the enemy has actually come over the last three, four, five years to destroy the confidence of leaders. Um, it's amazing that we have a system here, uh, not here, in the Western world where we have pointed out the faults and flaws of our leaders consistently for decades, and we now have a system where leaders are actually the ones that are trying to please everybody. And we're seeing the fruit of of a generation constantly pointing out the flaws of their leadership, politically, in, in the church world, constantly pointing out the flaws of the leadership. And what's happened is that a different kind of leadership has risen up that just wants to keep everybody happy. And we realize the frustrations that there are with that system. So the, the underconfident leader is a ditch. The other one is a, an overconfident leader. I can do everything. That was totally me. I'm going to do everything. Just give me something. I'll do it. I'll run with it, and it'll be amazing. Both are pretty unteachable. Both of those ditches share this, the, the, common, the commonality that they're not very teachable, that when you try to adjust them, they can't receive it either because they just don't believe in themselves or because they believe in themselves too much that they're not going to listen to you. And this overconfidence thing is that entitlement. It's like I'm, I'm entitled to this. Give me what is mine to do with as I please. Just give me what's mine, and I'll do with it as I please. It's this entitled kind of leader. And, and there's a real danger of that heart posture becoming more prolific within the charismatic sort of Pentecostal movement because we're all starting to realize how amazing we are. Here's the thing. Princes and princesses are not brought up with a sense of entitlement. They're brought up with a sense of obligation. That they have been given this amazing thing, this amazing benefit, this amazing position in life through no choice of theirs and through no fault of anybody else. But they have been put into this position and there comes with it an obligation to serve. To actually do something with it and to be thankful for what they have been given. Now, being thankful for what you've been given doesn't mean you give it all away. It means you steward it, you treasure it, and you, and, and, and you look after it. You see, one, one of the things that orphans do is they demand from God what He has promised. God, you have said, when? 
When's this? When's this going to happen? And this entitlement, whether it's to the, the prophetic word that has been given, whether it's based on the character of God, when it comes through this entitlement, we can sulk and pout because God's time frame isn't the same as our time frame. You understand that, 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 that God has to be first in your trials, not just in your successes, not just in uh, your, your decisions about what car to buy. He has to be first in your trials. The first thing that you should be thinking of, the first thing a son or a daughter thinks about from heaven to earth is like, well, Jesus, you're right here with me. Like, you're right. I might not feel you, but you're right here with me. You're in, in, the, in the dust with me. Like, you, you were made flesh to, to be right here with me. Like, the word the word paradox actually means, you know, coming down into the dirt to be alongside you. And that we have this glorious future and these promises from God, and yet we're still right here where we're at. And, this, and, and it's a paradox because we're living, you know, in between promise and the present. And the, the word paradox is about Jesus being alongside down in the dust with us. Like paraclete, you know. Sonship is not about getting what you want when you want it. Dang. One of the other sons that manifest is the son who is a servant in his heart. And, you, and, and you'll see that in the son, you know. He, he says, you see that in both sons, actually. I, I think service is great. I think we should all serve. I think the greatest form of service is to do what you're called to do. And then the other form of service is to do what nobody else is doing, just to help. But we're not trying to build a culture of servants. We're trying to build a culture of sons and daughters. The earth isn't groaning for the manifestation of servants. It's groaning for the manifestation of sons and daughters. And that sort of like servant heart is, I've done all you've asked. I've worked diligently. I've never neglected a command of yours. And you've never done a thing for me the way you are this loser brother of mine. You're doing for that loser brother of mine. There's a comparison thing that comes in with a servant. They're getting treated better than I get treated. And if you have a, a system in a church, we don't have this system. We nixed this system many, many years ago. But if you have a system of the church that if you've been here for five years, you get to be asked on to this team. If you've been here for 10 years, you get to be asked on it. We, we don't have that. In fact, we've had people coming into the church, and within you know, a couple of months, they're in the leadership, like absolute leadership of the church. Because it's not actually based on service, length of service. We're not honoring that. We're honoring the person and what the person carries. I think that elder brother thing, like why are you giving it to this loser brother is all too common here. We expect promotion because we've been doing something for years. We expect to get the next step because we've been faithfully serving for years and years and years. Why, why did they not make me an elder or a deacon? I mean, I've been doing this for years. It's definitely in our, in our, in our system that says uh, we should get it because we have been faithful. That's the heart of an orphan. Like, we get things because he is faithful, not because we have been faithful. You see, the elder brother was told at the end of the story, everything I've had has always been yours. Everything. So was the problem with the father or with the heart of the son? It's the heart of the son, right? The problem was never on the father's end. The problem is not on our heavenly father's end. The problem is in our heart, which is manifest and worked out in relationship with other people. Like it has to be worked out in submission and obedience. Oh, we hate that. I, I have been happily married for 28 years. I have a friend that says he's been happily married for four years. He's actually been married for 25 years, but he's only been happily married for four years. You know, and it wasn't all at once. It was like there was three days here, and then, you know. That's, that's not my experience. Um, I, I married the woman of my dreams, and we've been happily married for over 28 years. 
We don't get like that by, by entitlement and expectation, because I do this, you're going to do that. We get that way because we are faithfully, loyally submitted to each other. As a wife, she submitted to her husband. And as a husband, I am submitted to her. Because that's what it actually says in the Scripture, submit to each other. Now, wives, submit to your husband. And husbands, love your wives the way Jesus loves us. And how did Jesus love us? By submitting himself to death, even the death on the cross. So husbands, we get to submit every day by dying. Woo! But only if you want a happy marriage. You can make it a lot harder and decide not to submit and not have a happy marriage. And I think we like it. I think we like it hard. Because God's not trying to make life really hard for you. He's saying the, the, the... the enemy, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that you would have life and have it in its fullness, its abundance, more than you could ask or imagine. He's not trying to, God is not trying to make life hard for us by saying, you got to submit and obey to your leaders because it goes well with you. He's not saying submit to each other because then you'll all be a bunch of mousy people who are afraid to do anything. He's not. Like, this submission thing is about honor, respect, and if I want to be first, I I need to be last. If I want to be the greatest, I need to be the least. This is the kingdom way. And yet we grumble and complain because someone's made, someone in authority over us has made a decision that we don't like. Now, to be clear, if anybody in authority over me, you know, so Daniel is a great model for submit and obey. So he submitted to an evil, demonic king. An evil, demonic king. He submitted to that king. But he didn't obey him all the time. When that obedience thing came, came into a clash of his obedience to his heavenly father, he said, no, I'm going to obey my heavenly father. And I think that's on us to do that, you know. I think it's on us. There's, the submission is a heart posture, and the obedience is the sort of outward stuff. But the father never saw his sons as anything but sons. We don't even, and, and let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me use an illustration of a, of a pipe of blessing coming down from heaven right? There's this pipe of blessing coming down, like a big plastic pipe. The minute we, we adopt an orphan attitude, we kink the pipe. And the minute we do it again, we kink the pipe. And the minute we do it again, we kink the pipe. And we're standing under this, this fountain of abundance that Jesus has promised to send. God, where are you? Where is all this stuff that you've promised us? And God's kind of saying, would you straighten the pipe? This isn't on God's end. This is actually on our end. Would you straighten the, this blessing that I've been pursuing, this thing that I'm... And God's going, please straighten the pipe. I just want you to get the kinks out of the pipe so the blessings... Could, that's called alignment. That's called being aligned with heaven. See, heaven's government is not authority and power. It's family. And our role in this family, all of us, my role in that family is to show up as a son. I'm not showing up as a daughter, hopefully for obvious reasons. But, but, our, but my role is to show up as a son in all of my relationships. When I, when I think of the people I admire in the kingdom, I think of people like John and Carol Arnott. I think of like Bill Johnson. I think of Chris and Danny. And these are people that I know show up in their lives and their leadership as sons and daughters not as people that are lording it over people. I'm going to go back to the Bible. I want to to read one verse. It's from Romans 8, and I'm going to read it from the New, New American. 
and verse 15, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. You've not received a spirit For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed for us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. The answer to seeing more of the kingdom come on earth is to manifest as children of God, to manifest as sons and daughters of God. It's that simple. All of the earth is longing, it is groaning for us to show up and stop hiding. To actually understand our vertical relationship with the Father is that we are children of God and heirs with Christ. We're, we're, we're not worms put on this earth to just suffer through. We're, we are heirs with Christ. We, I am a child of God. But for that to be real it, on, a, on a vertical plane, it also has to be manifest on, a, on, a horizon, on the earth. It has to be manifest on the earth in how I do relationships, how my attitude is when someone's taken up in an offering for Steve and Jody. Like, it has to be manifest in those kind of things. It has to be manifest in delay. Anybody have young kids at Christmas time? When they're, when they're eagerly anticipating, is, is it Christmas? When's Christmas? How many days? Ten days. That's forever. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're going, okay, it's three days to go. I haven't got everything in. What am I going to do? Amazon. Thank God for Amazon Prime. How did, how did my parents ever do it? I don't know. Right? It like, feels forever to a child, but as you mature, it doesn't feel forever. Because you're maturing. You, you know that it's coming. Let, let me read, let me read this, this Romans 8 from the message. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It is adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is, and we know who we are, father and children, and we know we're going to get what's coming to us. I want to get what's coming to me. And children, sons and daughters, know that it's coming to them. You see, orphans live from the past to the present. Children, sons and daughters live from the present to the future, that I know this is coming. What's next? An adventurously expectant, what's next? My goodness, I could point you out all the things in the past, but what's next? That's the shift that happens in the heart of a son, and a son or a daughter. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with Him, can I get an amen? amen. Then we're certainly going to go through the good times with Him. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. You see, the purpose of delay is joyful, is to build up a joyful anticipation of what's about to come. 
not to look at the past and see everything that's gone on. The purpose of delay is to build up a, a, a joyful anticipation that deepens. And all around us, we observe a pregnant creation. I have never been pregnant. Thank God. I mean, I have three children, and I'm convinced if men got, men were the ones that actually had to carry and give birth, we just wouldn't have any more children. <laughs> be no more, ch- nope, don't touch me. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. So what's going on at the world? What's going on? See, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, BBC, whoever it is you, you know, are listening to, they should be saying, see everything you're seeing at the minute? These are birth pangs. These are birth pangs of what God is about to do. Like every trouble that's coming in, everything we see, every, every calamity is a birth pang because all of creation is groaning for you to show up. We are not waiting on the return of Jesus. Of course we're waiting on the return of Jesus. We're not waiting on the return of Jesus for Him to come and clean it up. He has actually given this, the task to us. Like if I can use this, we have actually been left behind to do the works of the kingdom. But we won't do it partnering with the devil and being little orphans. But it's not only around us. Wouldn't it be great if there was a news channel say, let me, let me show you the rats and the hatred that's going on in this city, but these are birth pangs because there is a king that is about to manifest through his people on the earth. There is a father that is about to manifest through his people on the earth, that Jesus, the Christ, is physically present through his church on the earth, and let's see what the church are going to do about this. That's the news. But this isn't just out there. It's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. Listen, listen. this is the purpose. This isn't always our experience. That is why waiting does not diminish us. That's the purpose. Waiting should not be diminishing us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We're, we're made bigger in the waiting. We're actually getting healthier and healthier and about to give birth to something that is, that is full and healthy because we're being enlarged in just the waiting with a joyful anticipation. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. There's that word, expectancy. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside helping us along. And if we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in us and for us making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. And as Chris Vallant would say, if it's not good, it's not the end. Like, we know in the waiting we are being enlarged, and we know that these present hard times are nothing compared to what's about to break into our lives, and that we know that every day we sit and mull on the past, we're doomed to, 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 to failure. We're doomed to depression, anxiety, and struggling as little orphans. But recognizing and starting to walk in our sonship brings us to the present, to the future, to say, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. Like, you know, 
I mean, leading a church, one of the things you get to do is you get to deal with the finances of a church, and every now and again there's a financial crisis because you don't have the money to pay the bills. It's very real. Like, it's a very real thing. And uh, at, at, at those times, it's really easy for, to, for people to say, well, what's the problem? We're looking for the Jonah. We're looking for the Jonah either as a person or, or as the attribute so that we can correct the Jonah. Sometimes there is no Jonah. Sometimes it's just God saying, you know what, I know this is hard, but there is a day coming. I know you're in the middle of this, but there is a day coming we will be free. Like, there is a day coming when this will actually break through. Like, the, you know, Martin Luther King wasn't inspirational and one of the great leaders of the 20th century because he, had, he focused on the past. No, he stood up and said, I have a dream. Let me tell you what the future looks like. The future is so bright you have got to wear shades. That's not a quote from Dr. King. Just to be clear, that's, that's a quote from a song. Right? But, but it's like being future-oriented, like sons and daughters are future-oriented. Take Moses as an example. I realize we're… Take Moses. You take Moses. Like Moses is, is a murderer. He's a cold-blooded murderer. He was abandoned by his parents. He probably couldn't ever get on a boat because of the wave emotion, and it brought him back to being an infant in a basket on the river. Well, I can't travel boats. Can you imagine? I can't do boats anymore. I had this traumatic experience when I was, a, when I was an infant. And, you know, I, I just can't stand. Whoa, no, can't do it. Can't do it at all. And you know what? My mother and father abandoned me. In fact, there's not really a lot of mention of my father. But my mother and father abandoned me. They said it was for my benefit. But you know what? I don't know. I'm sure there was another way. Because even though that she gave me to she gave me to the enemy, I mean these are our enemies. She put me in the hands of the enemy to be raised, and she didn't even step in and sort of say, "Well, I'll be your mom now." She she was my nanny. She didn't love me. She never loved me. My mommy and daddy never loved me. Look at their actions. This is Moses' story, right? And like I'm brought up by the enemy, and I, and I never fitted in with these guys because I looked different. You know, I looked like a Hebrew. I never really, they all knew I was like, you know, taken in. That they just decided to adopt me. They all, they all knew that. I was always the outsider. I was never destined for the throne. I could never have that inheritance. I was, all, I never, I never fitted in. And you know what? You know what? You, they sent me to witchcraft school. I mean, my very people think this is evil, and they sent me to witch. Nobody cared. They didn't even care that I was put in the hands of witches. When they're teaching me to worship these other gods, like, what kind of life? How can I amount to anything? And then I'm actually not, you know, I, I try to go back to my people because I kind of look like one of them, but I'm all educated. Nice, you know, I can speak many languages and I've got all this education and, and they, they don't trust me. They reject me. I'm trying to go back to my people. They reject me. I, feel this, I even feel this call of God on my life to set my people free and I try to do it. I end up killing a guy and then I have to run away for 40 years. Like I tried to walk in the call of God on my life and it was a disaster. I'm out of here. And I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to be with people that I'll continually feel like an outsider. I'm choosing the same thing. I'm choosing the same pattern of behavior because it's in my DNA. And you know what? I live in the shadow of my older brother. He's a really good speaker. I, 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 I can't speak very well. Oh, Aaron, you're great. You're amazing. But me, I'm just this guy out here. What am I? I'm an outsider. I feel inadequate. And then I see this burning bush. And then, then I realize I'm actually a murderer on the run. And, and this voice comes from it. And, and for the first time, that God announces himself as who he really is. It's the first time you know, Abraham did not know God as Jehovah or Yahweh. 
Abraham didn't know God as Yahweh. He knew God as the Lord God Almighty, El Shaddai. That's how, how God introduces himself to Abraham. But he introduces himself to Moses as saying, I, I was, is, and ever will be. This is who I am. And right in that confrontation, right in that confrontation, Moses was brought from looking behind him and brought to start to look that God is a future-oriented God. God is actually looking to the future. And this is what catapults God into the future. Time and time again, you see it in Scripture. The Apostle Paul, a murderer, someone who's tormenting Jews, but he had dedicated his life to this. He was a Jew of Jews. He was, he was instructed by the top instructor of Judaism at the time. He had given his entire life to the pursuit of truth. He was intimidating. People didn't want him, actually. And in fact, you know, when, when the church were told, this guy, you know, Saul is coming to you, they're like, eh, I don't think so. Don't really want him in our church. He wasn't physically attractive. Paul, Paul wasn't physically attractive. One of the early writings says this of, of Paul. He was a man of middling size, and his hair was scanty, and his legs were a little crooked, and his knees were far apart. He had large eyes, and his eyebrows met, and his nose was somewhat long. I think we just answered the question, was Paul ever married? Even Paul himself in 2 Corinthians 10 describes himself as this. He says, his letters, speaking about himself, are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. And Paul put all of his eggs in this one basket of the pursuit of truth, the pursuit of truth in the law. And God knocked him off his ass and got his attention. And I sometimes think it's time that we need to get knocked off our asses. It's another biblical cuss word. We do. We need, like, there, there's this moment in time where you need to actually wake up and say, this is not about me. Orphans think it's about me. It's about me playing my tambourine, me playing my shofar, me getting to be on the worship stage, me getting to preach, me getting to see what the promises of God. It's not about you. It's for a world that is in desperate need of the church to show up as the body of Christ. This is the essence of sonship. The essence of sonship, like we, you know, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you. Bitterness, anger, angst, frustration. I'm not really sure if God's going to come through or not. And I can point to every time in my life when God has come through. Like time and time and time again and oftentimes. Like the, the bad thing about it is that He's not God of the 11th hour. You know, He's not, you know, it's midnight and it's 11.59 and God shows up. He's, he's God. He's not the Calvary. Because God is generally the God of like 2.34 in the morning. When it's way past what you thought was the deadline, when it seems too late, when, in, when instead of, you know, being on the cross and just resurrecting Himself, He waits. And He waits so that we can wait. In and build up that anticipation that Christmas morning's coming, that this isn't the end. This isn't even the beginning of the end, but it might be just the end of the beginning. It's a quote from Winston Churchill. The first battle that was won in World War II by, by Britain before the U.S. joined. Thank you very much again for that, by the way. Thank you very much for that delay. The first battle that was won, but was won by a, a son of a Northern Ireland preacher, son of an Irish preacher in El Alamein in nor Northern Africa. And he defeated Rommel, and it was the first decisive victory that the Allies had in World War II. And Winston Churchill went out and said, okay, we're going to celebrate this victory, uh, but I'm telling you that it's not the end. Like, this isn't the end of it. Today is not the end of your waiting. 
It's not, mightn't even be the beginning of the end of your waiting, but it is the end of the beginning. As you celebrate every battle, as you celebrate every victory, as you celebrate every penny that God deposits into your checking account, as you celebrate every little, you know, pain-free moment that you have in whatever's going on in your health, as you celebrate little, little victories, those little bricks being taken, you celebrate them as you steward them, as you nourish them, and you give thanks to God it is the end of the beginning, and breakthrough is assured. It is assured. Let's stand. So I... If you're, if, you're in, if you're in a time of waiting, just, just stretch out your heart, arms, just stretch out your hands, and we'll, we'll just pray, you know. So God, I just thank you that we are enlarged in waiting, that this sort of like, this sort of, this sort of adolescent desire, this childish desire to make everything happen by, by one o'clock this afternoon, it's, it's kind of childishness in, in, in its in extreme. So God, I just pray that we would understand that you're making us larger as we wait. That, that you're not punishing us, but you're making us larger as we wait for what it is you have promised. And God, I know one thing about you, and that is that he who has promised is faithful. And I'm not that special to be the only one you're not faithful with. So God, I, I just I just bless everybody in the process of their progress. I just bless everybody who is in the process of their progress towards more of you. And God, I pray for a spirit of sonship over every individual and over this house that we would start to see what it looks like when sons and daughters of the Most High God show up in Gurney in this region that lives are changed, that, that healing anointings are restored, that deliverance has happened. Lord, the deep wells that are in this area are actually reopened. But Lord, let them be reopened by sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, you can just be seated for a second. Uh, one of the things we, we really like to do is when we have people come and in, invest in us and plant seeds. How many of you feel like there was some seeds planted in your heart today, right? That's good. A lot of good stuff. And, and uh, just one of the things we always want to do is we always want to honor and really bless people that come, uh, that are speakers and those that come and give to us. And uh, especially so Ian, who's so been attached with our church. We just want to bless him. But But here's one of the things you may not know, and that is that Ian is no longer the senior leader of Greater Chicago Church. He's actually passed that off to one of his sons that he's raised up, son and daughter. And he's actually, uh, you see it on the, on, the, on the slide, Ian Carroll Ministries. He's actually stepping into a whole new season of trusting God. And how many of you know when you move from one season to the next, it can be a little scary and you're not sure of the same things that you were sure of before and all that. And so one of the things we want to do is he's actually going to be taking a, this message that he brought this weekend to a lot of other places. I think San Diego next week and some of these other places around the country that he's getting invited to bring to other churches. And how many of you would like to be a part of helping him get really launched into the next season of his life, right? We get to be a part of that, right? And so we're going to take another offering, and we just want to bless Ian, and we want to bless Ian Carroll Ministries and Rachel as they, as they step into this new adventure, this new uh, calling that God has on their life. And so I want to encourage you again just to be generous. Whatever God tells you, that's what you should obey, right? I don't know what that number is for any of us, but I do know that when we invest in something, we get to actually be a part of that. So we get to be a part of Ian taking this sonship message to, to so many other people. So, Lord, we just bless that today, and we bless Ian. And, Father, as you're, as you're stirring in our hearts and as you're planting these seeds in us, Lord, we want to uh, let that become just a fertile place. And also, Lord, as we begin to 
even today, we plant seeds in Ian and, and Rachel, and as they step into this new season, Father, use our obedience to bless them because there are so many people in this country that need to really engage with being sons and daughters. And so, Father, we just bless that today. We bless this offering in your name. Amen. Amen. So, ushers, if you would uh, give us opportunity to give. Also, if you, if you don't have cash or check. Oh, stop, stop. If you're filling out a check, it's Ian Carroll Ministries, okay? If you want to do it that way. If you fill it out to our church, this whole offering goes to Ian, every single penny. So it's going to go to him. Actually, today we're going to give it to him. If you want to give on the kiosk or on your, on your phone, uh, it's Secure Give is the app, Secure Give. And uh, you can actually go through that through our website. And you can do that on your phone or on your computers. Or we have the, the uh, <laughs> what do we call it again, the slot machine uh, kiosk back here. <laughs> so there we go, man. All these little things going up. It'll be awesome. So you can give to that and just make a note of Ian Carroll or that awesome, awesome Irish guy or whatever. Just make sure we know where it's going and we'll make sure he gets it. <laughs> hey, man. Why don't we stand one more time, if you would? And uh, here's what I want you to do. Just... Just put your hand on the person next to you. Just, you know, you can do it in a real non-abrasive, introvert, extrovert kind of way. And here's what we're going to do. We're just going to bless each other. We're going to just bless each other. And just go ahead and we're going to declare, Lord, I declare today that you have good things for this brother and sister next to us. You have good things this week as sons and daughters. Lord, we are not orphans. We are not alone in this. We are part of the family. And Father, as we stand today, we thank you, God, that you have good plans for us. Even in the waiting, God, even in the times where it's frustrating, we are still your sons and daughters, and we still anticipate the great things and the hope that you have on the horizon. So we just bless each other in that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. We need help. We need help with the room. Jody, why don't you want to just don't move the chairs? The where? Oh, playground. We need help with some stuff on the playground. So leave the chairs where they are. If you want to head to the playground and give us a hand there, especially you uh, manly men. Manly men and hardy women folk. Either one. It's awesome. Head on over.